And uh, that is a very powerful song. And uh, by the way, I need to get a copy of it again. I don't know where my copy is, but I want to listen to it. So you guys owe me that, and I want it for free. I'm not going to pay for it. I know how these pastors are, you know. They charge you for everything. So I just want to make sure I get it for free. Amen. This is a great church. I tell you what, this is one of those remnant churches. I really believe God has a remnant. A remnant is people that they're going to stay the same. God's going to use them. The 300 men of Gideon. God had 32,000 men. Brought it down to 10,000, and then he found 300 men. And he said, I will go to war with 300 men. And this is something that's happening all over America. God is bringing the remnant together. Remnant leaders, remnant remnant churches. And Pastor Matthews, this is my third service with him. I, I know that I know that this guy is one of those. I mean, when you're remnant, you just show it, you live it, you speak it, you shine it. Amen. Thank you. Say amen, Brother Michael. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I want you to turn with me to James chapter 1. And as you turn there, um, I wrote a book called Feed the Camels years ago, and, and it was sold out. And I just discovered last week I have another 10 copies in my storeroom, and I actually kept it for myself. So I brought five or six of them in the copies here. So if you want that book, it's a really powerful book. Um, I'm writing a book on finally God makes sense. In fact, the book is finished. And uh, I will get it to my editors next week. And I believe that we're going to print three books this year. Um, There's two others this year. I have a lot of material I want to send out. But the book is called Finally God Makes Sense. And uh, you say, well... Doesn't he make sense to you always? No, he's too big. Uh, If God fits into your senses, then it's not God. Come on. Your brain box is too small to understand who God is. Sorry. I know some of you thought you're smart. You're not that smart. He's a little bit bigger than this box. Uh, The book is called Finally God Makes Sense, and the subtitle is When the Puzzle Pieces Come Together. I'm traveling, I'm running after God since 1982. I'm in the ministry. Since January 87, I'm chasing a promise. Uh, And there's a lot of prophetic things spoken over my life because my whole life is based on what God has said. For some people, the love of Christ. For other people, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the character of God. Something stands out about God. For me... When he gives you a word, you can base your whole life on that. Uh, I have an incredible respect for when God speaks a word. And that's why I'm very much against everybody that just calls him a prophet because they just speak a lot of empty, hot air, and it's not God. So God spoke to me, uh, and I'm chasing him in 2012. Uh, We had a meeting in Atlanta with several leaders when we birthed that apostolic network legacy that you so know well about, and Pastor Ron was there. And um, I was in a plane to Memphis about a month and a half later, and I sat in the plane, and and I said, Lord, finally, you make sense. And the Lord said to me, that's the book title you waited for for three years. And then I, Lord, I said, Lord, 
suddenly all the puzzle pieces come together and I can see the picture for the end time that you spoke about in 82. And the next moment, the Lord showed me a picture with flowers and mountains and trees and the beauty of nature. And, uh, and the Lord said to me, that's your life's picture and I'm bringing all the puzzle pieces together. And then right at the bottom of the picture, I saw dirt. How many of you realize that roses, flowers, the beauty of nature comes out of dirt? Come on, everybody say dirt. When you go out of this building, you will see the most beautiful trees, nature, hills. But, and that's all you focus on. But you better thank God for the dirt. Because it all comes out of dirt. Say to your neighbor, we need to thank him for dirt. And then the Lord said to me, the Lord spoke to me and he said to me, I want you to write that in your book when dirt makes sense. And I'm so glad that you celebrated like this tonight because I'm going to bring you down to dirt. I'm going to bring you down to the earth now. Turn to somebody and say, he's going to bring us down to reality now. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to preach this thing tonight in a way that you will love your dirt. Is there anybody here that has dirt in their lives? Oh, no, you guys are church of God. You don't have that stuff. Come on. Is there anybody here that has ever, something has ever gone wrong in your life and a few things didn't work out? And uh, I know some of you just like barely lift up your hand because you have some people that watch you. And you're not perfect. Wake up. Come on. Come on. You're not perfect. So I want to talk about when dirt makes sense. It comes out of my book. I'm, I'm not somebody that preaches out of books, but this is what I write, and I can only write what I preach. It says in James 1 verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in various trials. Isn't that a nice verse? I'm just going to read that one because that one is going to keep us busy the whole night. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall in fall. I love that. You just fall into it. How many of you just landed up in trouble one day and you found out, man, I'm in trouble. I don't know how I got into this. Come on. You better say amen because if you're not going to say amen, you're a liar. Thank you, Jesus. Count it all joy when you fall in various, various. Okay, that tells me there's a lot of them, trials. Two words in that one sentence that contradict one another. That's why if you read it without the anointing, you will say, mm-mm, doesn't make sense. It says, count it all joy when you have trials. How many of you realize there's a difference between joy and trials? I mean, it's not the same thing. But James tie them together. Come on. James says, no, no, no. Joy and trials go together. It's not separate. I know some of you thought, probably thought, ah, I shouldn't have come to the Monday night service. It's not what I want. That's what you need. Okay. Count it all joy when you fall in various trials. Now, the Living Bible says, same verse. Living Bible says, is your life full of difficulties and temptation? Then be happy. 
I don't like the living Bible either. Come on, I'm going to try all the translations until I get something I like. How many of you want something you like? Well, God says, I'm going to give you something you need. (laughs) I'm setting you up. The Berkeley translation. You say, well, I never heard about that. Well, there's an old translation called the Berkeley translation. It says, regard it as nothing but joy. Regard it as nothing but joy. What it's actually saying is, don't think of anything but joy. Don't say amen, brother. You haven't heard what I have to say yet. Don't jump the gun here, okay? Regarded as nothing but joy when you are involved in all kinds of trials. Turn to somebody and say, there's a lot of kinds. Amen. How many of you discovered, come on, especially the older people, by now you know there's more than one kind of problem in this world. Amen. Come on. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't like that translation either. Let's try the good news translation. It says, when you have uh, difficulties, temptation, trials, and temptations, it says, consider yourselves fortunate. Come on, anybody that's fortunate here? Come on. You cannot be fortunate unless you have some trials. He says, when you have it, you are fortunate. Renee, you and the pastor, are you fortunate? And no, you don't want to admit now because the whole church is watching you. Consider yourselves fortunate. The NEB Bible says, when you have trials and temptations, count yourselves supremely happy. Come on, guys. I don't like one of these translations. You know, after all of this, you know, you always want to resign the Bible because nothing sounds like what I want to hear. The NEB Bible says you must be supremely happy. The Phillips translation says, When trials and temptations crowd into your life, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Come on, somebody. Welcome friends. I'm telling you, this is a tough call. When the cat bites the dog and the parrot fly out of the cage and your wheel is flat and the food burn on the stove, it's not easy to say, welcome, friends. Come on. Welcome, friends. Okay. I don't like one of those translations. I'm going to try one more. The Message Bible says, when you have trials and temptations, throw yourselves a party. Question, why does the Bible say these things? Because the joy of a Christian is not related to a million dollars. It's not related to a good house. The joy of the New Testament is not based on what you have and how much money you have. The joy of the New Testament is a joy that is in your life no matter what goes wrong. Come on. When I look at some of the cars in the parking lot and I look at how you praise the Lord, I know that some of you are truly living this thing. Because your car does not look good, but man, your praises look real good tonight. Come on. 
When we pray, you see, that's why the world doesn't understand us. We come here on a Monday night, we give our money away, we sing a song, we go berserk in the Holy Ghost, and they know that we are not millionaires. And they say, what has gone wrong with them? Sir, our joy comes out of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come out of anything else. Come on. You are different whether you like it or not. The world will never understand you. And you do not make sense to the world. Come on, turn to somebody and say, I don't make sense to the world. We're talking about when dirt makes sense. Because trials and temptations is dirt. But I want to show you tonight that unless you are victorious in the midst of dirt, you are not a true New Testament Christian. Come on, America. I'm not going to give you the three keys to more money tonight and the five steps to success and the seven ideas that is blown up and it means nothing. I'm going to show you your dirt has a purpose in your life. Come on. Not all dirt that comes into our life is demonic. Some of it is to set us up for the future. Show me what you come through and I'll tell you who you are. Okay. Philippians 4 verse 4, the Apostle Paul wrote in a five-star hotel with a glass of orange juice next to him. He wrote these words. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. Again, I say rejoice. No, no, no. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always is always. He wrote it from a prison. Come on. Anybody can write that when you are in a seven-star hotel and you've got a carrier for your briefcase and you've got a guard and you've got all these entourage that they lately have on the church. Come And, and anybody can write stuff like that. But Paul wrote it from a... From, from, and I will not even read you the waste list of the Apostle Paul or his dirt list. He has a dirt list. Two-thirds of the New Testament came out of this man's life. In Luke 4, and we will not go into the scriptures, the Bible says that Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Ghost. Some of you say, well, that's a wrong print. He must have been led into the desert by the devil. No, the devil did not lead him in. The devil waited for him in the desert. So the Holy Ghost leads Jesus into the desert for an appointment with Satan. Wow. But the Bible says when he came out of the desert, he came out in the power of the Holy Ghost. See, many people want to get into the power. They say, I want to get into that anointing. I want to have what you have. Well, are you willing to go into what I went into? Come on. He was led into the desert by the Holy Ghost to be tempted by Satan. But when he came out, he came out in the power of. Come on, church. If you want to be a mighty woman of God and a mighty man of God, you will have to go into some trouble. Say to somebody, I need trouble in my life.
Michael, say it. I have a hard time with him. He's not working with me. When you look at Mark chapter 14, you will notice that there was a woman who broke her flask. And I don't want to go into that because it's a phenomenal revelation right there. But the moment the Bible says when she broke the flask, the Pharisees and the scribes inside the house said, it is a waste. They call it a waste. They say, why was this, for, this expensive oil wasted? So it cost her something. It was a 401k in our terminology. So she wasted it. But her waste releases a fragrance. And sometimes it is the dirt in our life, the troubles in our life, the battles in our life that releases fragrance. I have a CD on my table when waste produces fragrance. You better get that CD. It's on my table. It is a phenomenal CD. I ministered on that in a conference a few months ago. So you can get that there. Okay. So dirt produces fragrance. And on the CD, I think I spoke about how... A perfume, how they produce perfume and where it comes from. It's, it's very powerful. Now, when you look at the life of Joseph, let's quickly just have a look at the life of Joseph and then I want to go to another chapter. Joseph had a dream. I'm going to be prime minister in Egypt. And the next thing he told his brothers, he has a dream. And what do they do? They put him in the pit. Pit stands prophet in training. So if you want to be a prophet, get yourself a pit. No, you don't need to get yourself one. Somebody will find you one. Come on. We don't go to pits willingly. Come on. We, we, we don't accept dirt willingly. But God just brings it into our life willingly. Come on, this is not the kind of preaching you love, but that you should not have come to this meeting. It's too late now. Stay. You need this. So, he had a prophetic dream, and now he's in the pit. You see, when God told him that you will be the prime minister in Egypt, God never told him about the pit, party for house, and the prison. You see, when you receive a prophetic dream, God always shows you the mountaintops. Oh, you're going to be well-known in America, and you will fly and fly and fly, and you will have this, and you will have that, and you will accomplish this, and you will accomplish that. That's all the mountaintops in the prophecy. That's how prophecy works. God gives you the highlights, and God tempts you to go into it. And the day when you wake up, you say, my God, I'm in a pit. How did I get here? Stay there. God did not tell you that because none of your business. You need to walk it out. So now he's in a pit. Got him out of the pit, took him to Potiphar's house. That's the house of lies. House of lies. If they haven't lied about you, they must. Because if they lie about you, then I will watch how you will react when they lie about you. And the way you will react will tells me whether you are making progress. Come on. So now he's in the pit. Then he landed up in the prison because what happened in the... Let me just go back to Potiphar's house. She uh, wanted to uh, uh, lie with him. He ran away. She got his garment. And now she has evidence. Come on. I'm writing my book about that. When the enemy has evidence against you and it's false. 
Do you know what it sounds like when people say, oh, I've got evidence against him. And then everybody believes the evidence and nobody believes that it's actually false evidence. Wow. So, Joseph had a dream, but Pitt, part of his house, now he's in the prison. So all of a sudden, he goes into one season after another season after another season of dirt, trials, temptations, difficulties. And you know that the same gift that got him into the pit is the same gift that got him out of the prison. It's amazing that one day the anointing that God has put on your life work against you, and then five years later the same anointing works for you. Why does these things work this way? Because now he's in the palace, and you know that he became a provider of bread. Six peas, prophetic dream, pit, party for his house, palace, uh, uh, prison, palace, provider of bread. I will not go into that whole story. And uh, what happened? When he saw his brothers, you must understand the brothers threw him in the pit. And when he saw the brothers about 20 years later, he wept. When Joseph told the brothers when he was young, he said to his brothers, Hey, you're going to bow before me and I'm going to be the prime minister in, in, in Egypt. You're going to bow before me. Truth spoken with arrogance. The most damaging leaders is the leaders that speaks truth, but they are arrogant. And God decided, Joseph... You speak truth. I did give you the dream. But Joseph, a Bible school will not get the arrogance out of you. A seminar will not get the arrogance out of you. Huh? If your mentor talks to you, you will not listen to him. So Joseph, you will be the man of the hour, but I will get you there without your arrogance. You see, trials and temptations get things out of us that nobody else can get out of us. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about myself because you guys are perfect. Come on. You see, sometimes the battles of life get stuff out of you. So we're talking a little bit tonight about when dirt makes sense. Because sure, anybody can praise the Lord when everything goes right. Anybody can be faithful when nothing goes wrong. But when you are faithful, when things, go, uh, when things do go wrong, that's a sign that you have matured in the things of God. Okay. Can I preach a little bit more? Please put a smile on your face. It's not this bad. Somebody say, I love my dirt. I found out if you want to see the greatness of God, he will not make sense all the time. That's why I wrote the book, Finally God Makes Sense. It took me 34 years in the ministry to come to the point, finally, God makes sense. Puzzle pieces is coming together. I can see the first signs of the end time harvest coming in. This is what God spoke about in 1982. Finally, 34 years later, I went through all the hell and hardship, misunderstandings, trial, discussions about me, gossiping. God, now I understand that I'm not the same man anymore 
And all of a sudden, you make sense out of all my dirt. Come on. Are you still excited? Are you going to sing the same way you sang just before you gave me the pulpit? Come on. Turn to somebody and say, you need to rejoice in your dirt. Genesis 29. In Genesis 29, we find a phenomenal story. And I will end with this. In Genesis 29, we find a phenomenal story where Laban had two daughters. And you know the story probably well. Laban said to Jacob in verse 15, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? So Laban said to Jacob, uh, Hey, I, I want to know from you, what do you want? What, what, what kind of wages would you like? That's a nice guy to have in your life. You just ask, I mean, I would, don't you, would you like to have somebody that just asks you how much money you want and then they just give it to you? No, you, you, I mean, you guys, you guys are very spiritual, but I would like that. That's what he did to Jacob. Laban had two daughters, and the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now watch this, verse 17. Bible says Leah's eyes were delicate, and Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. That's the little description of the two ladies, the two daughters of Laban. Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. All the men say amen. Mm. No, you're very spiritual. You don't hear what I said. Liar. Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Babel does not say anything about the beauty of Leah. Her eyes, she had an eye problem. And what did Jacob do? Jacob said, I want Rachel. Give me beauty and form. So Rachel was, her, was his dream. Leah was the opposite. If the Bible is silent about certain things, the Bible actually says a lot. God has given me an anointing about things that the Bible doesn't say when the Bible is silent. I normally have a gift to read it. Jacob said, give me Rachel. And then he said to Laban, he said, and I will serve you seven years for Rachel. I will serve you seven years for my dream. I will serve you seven years for beauty. I will serve you seven years for my ministry. I will, I, I, I will pay the price. <laughs> and the Bible says that the seven years was like a few days. Felt like a few days. You see, when you're in love, you have no idea that you're already married for 20 years. Come on. That's what love does to you. When they say to you, well, it's your 30th anniversary, I'm almost 39, I say, my God, where has the years gone by? When you're in love, it feels like a few days. And what happened after seven years? Uh, 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 Jacob came to Laban and he said to him, give me my wife. He doesn't say Rachel, he uses the word wife. How many of you feel that there comes a season in your life where you feel like, I deserve this? And if you don't feel that way, then you're not telling the truth. 
Because we all come to a point in life where we feel, man, I've served the Lord, I've paid my dues, I've done what I had to do, and it's about time that I now get what God needs to give me. And Jacob said, give me my wife. He had the right to say it. Laban had no problem with it, and the Bible says Laban prepared a feast. So when Jacob saw that he prepared a feast, Jacob figured out, man, I'm going to marry my dream. And you know what happened? It was an evening wedding, and the, the, the bride was veiled. That's why I always recommend to people that want to marry, don't marry in the evening. It's very dangerous. You can marry the wrong woman. What happened? Laban gave Leah to Jacob. Leah was ugly. Leah was not attractive. You say, how do you know she was ugly? The Bible says Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. The Bible says nothing about Leah. Nothing means she was not attractive. She had three hair, bad breath, lost all of her teeth. No chandeliers hanging like you, ma'am. Nothing. She's not polished. She's not modern. She's just not accepted. Laban decided, I need to get rid of her. So he smuggled her in. Watch this. Jacob woke up the next morning. Jacob said, what have you done to me? Have I not served you seven years for Rachel? And now you deliver this dirt in my life. Come on. She's a type of dirt, not wanted, not nice looking, not what I ordered for my life. And Jacob was upset. Come on. Dirt will upset you at a time in your life where you will feel, I cannot take it anymore. I had enough, but hang on. Dirt will sometimes make a lot of sense. Hallelujah. You know what, church? One of the things I've learned, that the best preachers does not come out of colleges and universities. The best preachers are birthed in the school of hard knocks, where they have learned that unless the anointing carries me through, and God carries me through, and God gives me a word, I'm not going to make it. I want to I wanna, I wanna, I wanna upset you. I did not come from the greatest universities. And I did not come from the greatest colleges. But I come from Africa. I come from the southern tip of Africa. And I can give, tell you a lot of things about myself that will not impress you. But I've learned one thing. That in my moments of dirt and rejection and pain and loneliness and not being wanted, never had any connections, God has raised me up to say something. Out of dirt, God will raise up something that will amaze you. Now, Laban said to Jacob, you need to serve me another seven years. Another seven years for Rachel? I mean, what's going on with Laban? Now, he's going to serve 14 years for Rachel. A woman does not look the same after 14 years. If you don't know it, I'll give you the revelation. 
Some of you act so holy. Come on. Be careful how you react. Your wife is sitting next to you. You're going home with her tonight. She's going to have a talk with you. But you know what? Now he serves another seven years, and then he married Rachel. This is not a confirmation that you're going to have two wives in your life. Just want to warn you. Rachel is a type of your dream. Leah is a type of dirt or reality. What you dream is sometimes very opposite than where you are in life. But God gives you dreams so that when you go through tough times, the dream will keep you going. And one thing about a dream is, I am running after my dream now for 34 years, and I'm still running. I'm almost 62, and now we're doing the upper rooms, and we're doing legacy, and I'm getting more excited because I'm bringing leaders together because I believe that in my 60s, somehow, somewhere, God is going to bring a breakthrough that will influence America for the good. You say you're a fool to do this. You're a fool to give your whole life running after one promise. No, I I'm not a fool. Ultimately, the price that I've paid will make sense. So he served another seven years. And the moment he married Rachel, the Bible says in verse 30, So Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Verse 31, when the Lord, oh my goodness, when the Lord, come on. I thought it was all about Laban, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Mm -mm. Verse 31, the Lord, come on, who's the Lord? That's the one who watches your whole life. That's the one who orchestrate the tapestry of your life. That's the one who's building the puzzle pieces into your life. That's the one, hallelujah, who saw dirt. He saw Leah and he saw Rachel. And he saw how Jacob was just into Rachel. And when the Lord saw that, the Lord said, I don't like it. He's just going into his dream. I want him to spend time with dirt. And what a the Lord do the Bible says, and when the Lord saw that Jacob was just going into Rachel, he locked the womb of Rachel. God did it. You see, if God finds out you are only faithful in your dream, but you don't want to be faithful with your dirt, Come on, it's not my, I mean, if God was not on the scene, I had no evidence to preach this thing. But there is my evidence. When God saw this man is just interested in beauty, but he's not faithful, he doesn't want, come on, he, he, he turned his back on dirt. He turned his back on that ugly woman. He turned his back on, come on, you must understand that Leah must have had a self-image problem. Leah must have had some personal issues. 
Leah must have had a war in her spirit because for years when she grew up with her sister, her sister was the beautiful one. She was the rejected one. And now she noticed, she noticed, he is in love with my sister, but I'm a piece of dirt. I have a self-image problem. I have an eye problem. I'm not attractive. I don't have form. I don't have what my sister has. And she must have had a war again. And the Lord decided, I will step in. God decided, I will not allow him to have fruit with his dream. I will now force him to have fruit with dirt. A few months later, come on, she's ugly, she's got bad breath, she doesn't use makeup, her hair is oily and greasy, she's got no form. I just imagine it was early in the morning, and she came out of the room, and she talks like dirt. She sounds like dirt. And she said, Jacob! That's Jacob. Jacob! I'm pregnant! You are pregnant. You are are pregnant. Yeah, I'm pregnant, Jakey. I'm pregnant. I think Jacob wanted to run away. Listen to this. In the Old Testament, it was an honor to have boys. There was something. You were humiliated if you could not have children. And I think she said to Jacob six months later, Jacob, I went to the doctor. He said it's a boy. She spoke West Virginian. I think that's what it sounds like. Every morning when Jacob looked at Rachel, she doesn't say anything about pregnancy. But this ugly piece of dirt that came into his life. Come on, this ugly piece of dirt that came into his life. He never wanted her. He never ordered her. She just came and all of a sudden, he does not understand. Why does she get pregnant and my dream does not get pregnant? In the meantime, God is watching the drama. And God has decided, I will teach him a lesson of his life. Come on, church. The one boy was just out of the womb a few months later. Here she comes. She's still, now she's really overweight because she had her first child. How many of you realize when a woman is pregnant the first time, they never loses it all? Is that the truth or not? Come on. You American people are probably different than the rest of the world. She looks worse now than what she looked previously. And she comes out of the room and says, Jacob, I'm pregnant again. <laughs> What's going on? 
This is not what I wanted. This is not what I ordered. I was upset with Laban when he gave me this woman. He got rid of her. Yes, there's things that will come into your life. It will not make sense, but it's God. There's testings and trials that will come into your life. It will not make sense, but it's God. That sister that irritates you every Sunday when you come to church, and she greets you every Sunday, and she has bad breath, and she just doesn't know what to say. She just talks with everybody, and she frustrates you. She's been set at the door to frustrate you so that you can develop into the person that God wants you to be. And every time she frustrates you, God is watching you, how you greet her. And God says, ah, he ignores her when he comes to church. He knows she's standing at the door. Now he enters through the side door. I will send her to him after the service to that door. And until you learn how to handle her, she will not go away. How many of you want to be honest? You've met a few people, they are Christians, but they irritate you. Sometimes when I see, I I can read them, oh God, help me, Jesus. There she comes again, oh God. Just read my Bible. I don't even read anything. I just... I know you don't do that, but that's, that's what I do. When you travel as much as I travel, and you go to all these churches, you know exactly who's waiting on you and what church. Everybody has one of them. What happened? Leah had six boys. Six in a row. Dominoes. Pregnant, 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 pregnant. Jacob thought what was going on. God says, I will give him fruit with dirt until he gets the message. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. All kinds of trials comes into your life. Six of the twelve tribes of Israel came out of dirt. Fifty percent of your greatest successes in life could come out of dirt. One of the boys' name was Judah, and I will not go into all the names. Judah means praise. Praise does not come out of a Bible school. Praise does not come out of a seminar. The best praise come out of hardship. Come on. Show me how you can praise when all hell break loose, and I will show you praise. When I was a boy of, uh, in grade 7 or something like that, we had municipal workers that work in South Africa, and it was the Zulus. 
And we, we, we never had all these modern technology. And there was a, a, a long con- a concrete pole. And they had to lift this pole and put it into a hole so that they can, they can put uh, electric wires on these poles. But the pole is far too heavy for what these men can lift. I will never forget this as long as I live. And I watched this and I saw how the truck brought all the municipal workers. It's all black Zulus. And I thought to myself, in my mind, I knew. There's no way that so many human beings can lift that concrete pole and put it in that hole. And I thought, how on the earth will they move that pole? And they moved separate, and they formed a circle, and the next moment they started to sing in Zulu, and they started to praise the Lord in Zulu. And man, can they sing. And when they became one in praise, come on, when they became one in praise, they started to move like like only the Zulus can move, and they move towards the pole, and they position themselves next to the pole, and at a certain moment, only they knew when, they lift that pole, and they were singing, and they carried it. What happened? They put it in the pole. They lifted a concrete pole that is humanly impossible, but they've learned something. They are not millionaires. They are not rich people, but they know something that if we can place in unity, we will lift things in the spirit that we cannot lift in our human abilities. I saw it with my own eyes, and I want to say to you, if you want to lift burdens, start to praise him. Hallelujah. Judah came out of Leah. The Bible says Judah was the one who got the enemy by the neck. Come on. Judah goes in first. Judah is a barrier-breaking anointing. When we started the service tonight, we started with Judah. The greatest king of the Old Testament, King David, came out of Leah. All the Psalms that were written came out of Leah. All the Psalms came out of dirt. Come on, church. You know, we're living in a day where everybody has a model sermon and a model this and a model speech. It irritates me. It frustrates me to listen to it. I always say, give me somebody that has been to hell and back. Let him preach to me. Give me somebody that has come through the desert. Let him preach to me. Don't you preach to me from another man's book. Don't you preach to me from another man's library. I don't want to hear all that. I want to hear what preaching sounds like that comes out of dirt. Count all joy when you fall in various trials. Hallelujah. Somebody else came out of dirt. I don't know how to preach about him. I don't have the ability to preach in English. I can talk about him in Afrikaans. I can wear a yellow prat in Afrikaans. Hallelujah. I come with him prick in Africa. I come from him prat. But I cannot say what I want to say in English. My language is limited. Jesus Christ came out of Leah. Just for what it's worth, don't get excited. Your healing came out of Leah. I mean, don't get excited. It's not that good. Your eternal life came out of Leah. Just want to mention it to you. Come on. Your salvation 
didn't come out of Rachel. Salvation didn't come out of form. Salvation didn't come out of appearance. Salvation came out of rejection, out of pain, out of, out of a, a self-image problem. The, Jesus Christ came out of the lineage of Leah. You know, there's a great man with the name of Paul I. I think some of you know him. Paul I is a friend of mine. He's a true apostle. He's in America. Goes into three eastern nations. He was a Buddhist priest. And they, one day there was a Christian gathering. They brought him in to break up the Christian gathering. He could not. He became a Christian. Gave his heart to Jesus. They threw him in prisons. He was in three prisons. He was, I think, something like 13 years in prison. They put him into a political prison. They put him into another prison. And every time he leads the people to the Lord. And then they, then they put him into a, a prison for prost- a woman prostitutes. And the government said, we will break you. He led the whole prison to the Lord. One of the people he led to the Lord, he led them to the Lord over a drainage pipe. Say after me, I accept. And the prisoner said on the other side of the pipe, I accept. Is that, are you willing to work for the Lord like that? That's dirt. You smell the dirt, you smell the pipe stinks, but you lead another one to the Lord, that's dirt. So, while he was in prison, 320 plus prisoners got out of the prison for good, good uh, uh, behavior and they all started churches. He came out of prison. He's abandoned out of the country. And I can say it. He still goes back. He gets on ships, go in underground, visit all his churches because they said to him, if we catch you, we will imprison you for life. But then he comes out and he comes back. And one day I was in Sweden. Actually, I was in Germany and I was sitting on the airport on my way to Sweden. And I sit there at the gate and there sits Paul I. And I said, Paul, what are you doing here? He says, Pastor. I got instructions that when I come out of the nation where I smuggled myself in, I must meet you guys in Sweden. I said, Paul, you made it. He says, yes, sir. The Lord is growing my churches. And I said, God, this is a man that has learned that out of dirt comes fruit, fragrance. What am I saying to you tonight? Don't lose faith. And don't become weak. weak, And don't throw in the towel when things go a little bit wrong. It's in the bad smell. It's in the dirt that God is hiding his next plan. Pharaoh made a law. And Pharaoh said, kill the Hebrew boys. Kill all the Hebrew boys. He made a law. Now he tried to outlaw God's plan. That's what Pharaoh did. He said, I'm not going to make a law. Kill all the Hebrew boys. (laughs) The midwife woman 
was faithful to God and they let them slip through. And Pharaoh came to the conclusion she's doing it and he said, why do you allow the children to be born that are Hebrew? And the midwife says, they are so strong. By the time we come to the birth stool, we've, we've missed it. And God protected their households. Moses grew up. His mother could not protect him anymore. She made a little ark with bulrushes, put him into it, put him into the river. That the doubt, the, 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 the uh, bulrushes and the, and the doubt that was around the little ark had a bad smell. So now little Moses drift in a river wrapped in bad smell. Stinketh. Dirt. Isn't it amazing? God's plan is drifting in a river in bad smell. Sometimes God must allow you to be in bad smell because the bad smell that you think is bad is actually for your protection. Because you don't see the full picture. But when the puzzle pieces come together and you sit 33,000 feet in the air and you're flying to Memphis and all of a sudden you see how puzzle pieces come through the sky and God completes the picture of your whole life. You say, Lord, now I understand why that had to go wrong and now I understand why that had to go wrong because God, now that I see the puzzle pieces come together, I understand that you were with me all the time. Hallelujah. I will not preach all the detail. 80 years later, 80 years later, Moses stood in front of Pharaoh and Moses said to Pharaoh, let God's people go. Let God's people go. Pharaoh said, who are you? Moses said, I was that little boy wrapped in bad smell. I slipped through. You gave your daughter money to finance me. <laughs> you paid God's plan. You financed God's plan. Here I am. Seven years later, let God's people go. God will wrap you in bad smell. But ultimately, you will stand in front of Pharaoh and you will say, I was supposed to be dead. I had all hell against me. Even your law was against me. But you could not outlaw me. You could not outdirt me. Here I am. I have authority. I'm 80 years old. And Aaron is my prophet. He's 83 years old. And we are here on a mission. Let God's people go. And I will not preach about the staff and how it became a snake. I will not even go into that. All I want to say to you is tonight, you are on a mission. Even if you don't feel like it. You are on a mission. Even if you have mixed feelings. You are on a mission. Even when your beauty is messed up with dirt. Dirt is not all demonic. Dirt is God preparing you. Joseph sits in a prison. Haven't seen his father and his brothers for many, many years. Pitt ran away from Potiphar's wife. Sits in a prison. And although he was in prison, his gift was not in prison.
Is this the cell with Joseph? Are you Joseph? Yes, sir. I'm Joseph. Can we see you for a moment? Yes, sir. We heard a story that you interpret dreams. Yes, sir. He doesn't look good. He doesn't smell good. He had a few bad years behind him. And say they said to him, Pharaoh had dreams. Could you possibly interpret it? Yes, sir. And Joseph realized, this could be the moment that I will step out of my dirt. And when he interpreted the dreams, Pharaoh, who had a crown in the form of a snake, was so impressed with Joseph. And Pharaoh said, if the church doesn't understand you, I need you. If your brothers will reject you, I will take you. And when he interpreted the dreams, he said to Joseph, you will be second in charge over Egypt. I will give you a special ring, special dress. You will have my vehicle. You control the corn and the wheat. And Joseph realized, I am not the same man anymore. I don't want this really. You see, the time when you come in, there will come a season in your life that you will say, I don't really care anymore. I don't really want this anymore. I'm not interested in this anymore. That's when God says, you're now at the point where I will allow it to happen. You see, when you come to the end of yourself, this great prophetess, prophetess in South Africa prophesied that many, many years ago in South Africa. When I was 48, I came to a point in my life where I said, God, I don't want to go to America anymore. I don't want to go there. I'm not interested in America. Don't you send me there. I had enough of this. I've done my dues. I honestly, I said it to the Lord. One day I prayed. I said, God, I want you to lock the doors to America. The Lord said to me, you're praying to the man who's sending you. I said, God, oh, sorry, God. How do you pray to God when God is the one sending you? The day when you say, I can't care anymore. I don't need this anymore. God says, so finally you died. Now I will promote you. When Joseph saw his brothers, he wept. And when they felt guilty and bad, he said to them, don't feel bad. I had to go and preserve a place for you. Don't feel bad. You know what I say to many of my friends? Don't feel bad what you ever said about me. Don't feel bad what you ever did against me. I had to have that in my life because now I understand that you made sense even when I thought you were my enemy. You know what I'm doing? I go to people in my past. And I go and say, brother, I know you came against me 22 years ago. But I just want to tell you, I love you more than ever before. Because was it not for you, 
I would have chosen the road of comfort. But God used you to make it uncomfortable for me. And that has put me on a track that I didn't like. But it was God. Thank you. One day I had a man of God. He was a legend in South Africa. He came against me. And then ultimately he had one of the largest churches. He invited me three times for a series of meetings. And one day he fell down in front of me on a morning service. And he said, I want to ask this man of God forgiveness. I did not read him. I did not discern who this man is. And I said to him, man of God, don't you bow before me. He was much older than me. I said to him, don't you bow before me. You don't need to worship me. You don't need to ask me forgiveness like this. And I said to him, sir, you have to say what you have to say because God had to get things out of me. I said to him, stand up. And he said, I will organize Azusa Street Revivals and I will set up stadiums in South Africa. And Andre, you will be my speaker and I will serve you. I said, God. How can this man serve me? You see, church, when you go through your dirt, people will bow before you and do things for you that you never thought they would ever do for you. And I said, Lord, I don't want him to do this. He's my master. I am the son. But you know what? When you walk the walk that God wants you to walk, the end is so awesome. It's worth it all. Somebody say, I will count my trials and my temptations and my dirt. I will count it as joy. Why can I preach like this? How can I have this kind of authority? How can I operate in this? Because I have walked that road. I know what it feels like. To have all these incredible promises. Last Thursday, I was in a call with men that's talking about D.C. And a major move into Washington, D.C. With great, great, great political leaders involved. How did I get onto that call? I don't deserve to, deserve to be on that call. But somehow, somebody called me and said, you must be on the call. I said, I must be on the call. Why? Because you must be on the call. I said, okay, I'll be on the call. And I said, Lord, how did I get onto this call? The Lord says, shh, it's time. Somebody said, my dirt. Well, ultimately, makes sense. It's quiet in here. James 1 says, Can it all joy when you fall into trials? I don't hear any joy here. It's quiet. What's going on? <laughs> Wrong sermon. Not good preaching. People are quiet. Noise is not always the sign that God spoke. Sometimes when God speaks a word, everything comes to a standstill. And everybody realizes the Lord has spoken 
and the Lord will surely bring it to pass. Hallelujah. Come on, Pastor Matthew. 